Really good to see you. Again, if I've never met you before, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor around here. And I did, in fairness, I did ask Peter, do you want to just get up there and say anything? And he said, please don't make me do that. You know, so he's not preaching today. I'm going to stay on the mic. Uh, I've got notes here. And so we're going to go from there. Now, it's funny, Jack kind of alluded to this, but how many of you would say, I really care about how my yard looks? Like, I, I actually cut it. I'm intentional about it. Okay, so there's a handful of us. The rest of us are normal, but everyone else that you really, really, really care about, it's funny because I have just found that in our community, man, there's some people who go, and maybe you're one of them, you know, you just go to the next level of care and attention to grass. You know, it's just amazing. Uh, it's, it's, and th- I'm amazed by it. Now, I did some homework because I just got curious about this. I did some homework this week. To figure out how much per year does, does America spend on lawn care. And just before I show you the number, anybody want to shout out what you think? How many dollars a year go into lawn care as Americans? This is total, total numbers. Just throw some out. I, oh boy, I'm not sure. <laughs> I feel you on that, but I'm not sure. Give me like a concrete number, somebody. What'd you say? How many? A billion, okay. Good start. Two billion, all right. Anyone for three, 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 three? While we're here, you know, four, you know, just kidding, five billion. All right. So the actual number is $48 billion a year on lawn care. And the average American spends about three, almost three and a half hours, 3.4 hours a week on caring for their lawn and their landscaping. That's nuts. You know, now if you walked by my yard, you'd think I spent $0 in zero hours because I live in a patch of weeds that's called grass. You know, like my my weed to grass ratio is rough. It is not not the best. Uh, so much so that Lindsay and I fo- finally got fed up with each other. And this spring, we're like, okay, let's just do it. Let's go get some quotes. Let's get some estimates. Figure out how much is it going to get cost really to get this thing off the ground? Because our yard is trash. The landscaping's old. There's just a bunch of problems we have in our little patch of land. And and so we did some homework. We, we called a friend over. And his estimate was about 21000 more than I wanted to pay. Okay, I'll put it that way. So it was outside of the range I was hoping to spend on my lawn. All that to illustrate, it needs help. My yard needs help. The weed to grass, weed to, to good stuff ratio is way, way off. So much so that this week I got curious even more. And I was like, well... Man, if this stuff is just growing at such a great rate, these weeds are just popping up all over, I wonder if you can eat any of them. You know, so there's actually an edible weed guide. I want to show you this. I'm not talking about like marijuana. I'm talking about actual (laughs) real weeds in your yard that you all probably have too. And so you can collect at least those six. If you see any that look familiar, you can go home and make a salad. But like I couldn't believe it, so I just got really, really discouraged about my yard. It just is what it is. I even spent hours yesterday because I knew I was going to talk about this, making my yard look better, and it still looks like no one did anything to it for like 10 years, you know? just takes so much work, and, and it, I, it puzzles me because I'm looking at my yard every single time I mow it, and I'm like, how is it possible that healthy grass, which I have some, and healthy weeds can coexist? How? How, how is that possible? You know, I'm doing all the right things. I've got good seed in there. I've watered it. I've cared for it. I've tried to spray all the right things. Like, I'm, I'm not just not thinking about it, but it's just happening that there are 
good weeds and good grass right next to each other. And you could ask the question this way. This will lead us into where we're going with, with the parables. You could ask the question this way. How, do you, how, how can good wheat and good weeds coexist? How do you stay good wheat among the weeds, like in your own life? Like how is it possible that we can live in a community with 29, 30 other churches, Byron Center? You can live in a community like this, and yet our divorce rate is higher than the national average. How is that possible? How is it possible that there are people who sit in these seats, the seats that you're sitting in every single weekend, yet have secret sin, darkness, brokenness in their life? How is that possible? How is it possible that bad things happen to good people in your life, and then good things end up happening to the bad people in your life? How is that possible? How is it possible that there are wheat coexisting next to to weeds, good grass next to good weeds. Jesus actually invites us to ask this question in the parable we're going into. If you've ever asked that question, this parable is for you. It's written for you. And in Matthew 13, I want to read, we're going to start in verse 24 and read down to verse 30. So if you have a Bible, reference will be on the screen. Pull out your phone or physical Bible. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God, and this is what he says. Jesus told him another parable, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So Matthew 13, 24 sets up, Jesus sets up the parable and says, There is a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is me. Okay, this is my yard. I've put seed down in my yard. I've done the right things. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So... Catch this. There's an external force. There's an, there's an opposite to this kingdom of heaven. There's something running counter to this man planting the seed in the field, the good seed in the field. So it says, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? That's what I wish all my neighbors would ask me. You know, like, Man, you're doing all the right things. How did you get all these weeds? And he, and he says back, this is his response. An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Kind of a natural response, right? You got weeds in your garden bed. You're getting them out. You want to remove them. And he says something counterintuitive in this moment. Look in verse 29. He says, no. No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds... You may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Interesting parable. Uh, In this parable, one thing that is really important to note is Jesus is not talking about just any weed that was sown in Israelite agriculture at the time. He's not talking about just any random weed. The word here is actually zazanya, or our modern word is darnel. And these, these still exist in the Middle East. They're these small seeds that when they're first budding, when they're first growing, I mean, this picture is darnel. It looks almost exactly like how wheat should look as it is growing. It's almost hard to tell the difference. Like to the basic person, the naked eye, you would not, if you put them out, out in front of you and say, which one's wheat, which one's darnel, you'd be like, uh, I'm not totally sure. 
It's hard to tell. They are almost identical. And planting Darnell was not just a kind of mean thing to do. Planting Darnell in someone's field was an act of revenge. It was an act of evil. It was horrible to take seeds like that and plant them next to what is supposed to be good seeds, what's supposed to be wheat, security for your family, food on your table, and someone's planting, supplanting these, these, wheat, these weeds called Darnell in your, in your field. Not, not was this, not, I mean, it could be a relational thing, but it went farther than that in culture. See, if you planted Darnell in someone's field, this was an offense punishable by Roman law. Like the federal authorities get involved when people put Darnell in what's supposed to be a, a wheat field. Jesus is trying to point out in this parable that really, just like there's a kingdom of heaven, there's a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom at war against the ways of Jesus in the world. And this parable can feel a little bit abstract. It feels a little bit like, what is that supposed to mean for, for Monday morning? But if you go to the end of the parable, later on in this chapter, disciples come to Jesus, and he actually explains it. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to set up this parable. Because really there are two perspective-altering takeaways to this parable, and then there are two ways for you and I to say good wheat among the weeds. Two perspective-altering takeaways and two ways. So the first perspective-altering takeaway, and I believe this will change our, for many of us our focus, our perspective, even today. The first one is this. There are two kingdoms or ways of understanding reality at work in the world. There are. There's not one. There's not one that kind of meshes both worlds together. There are two separate, distinct, profoundly different kingdoms at work in the world. There's the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of light, kingdom of our God, kingdom of the way of Jesus, and there's a kingdom of darkness, of Satan, of our enemy working against the kingdom of God. And they look similar sometimes. Sometimes the way of culture and the way of Jesus do look like, hey, aren't we all kind of talking the same language here? Aren't we all kind of going the same way? Are we all moving in the same direction? Jesus in this parable says, no, we're not. They are similar. They look the same, but they are profoundly distinct. And let me tell you why this perspective-altering takeaway matters. Because failure to understand, failure to embrace as a follower of Jesus that there are two kingdoms in this world creates a wake of spiritual apathy in our lives. Why? Well, if I don't believe that sin is that bad, I don't treat it like it's that bad in my life. If I just believe it's a flaw, it's a personality difference, it's a preference, it's a, it's a weakness, what I end up doing is minimizing sin, minimizing the gravity of what sin can do in my life, and I just brush it over. And I live, and maybe you've lived, I've lived in seasons where I just, there were things I knew, I know were wrong, and I still did them. I just let them kind of run in the undercurrent of my life. Why? Because I fail to believe there's actually two kingdoms in this world, and I have a choice. I, ha I have a path that I, I need to walk down to take them. The same thing is true of my lost friends and neighbors. If, if I don't believe that there are two kingdoms at work, two ways of seeing reality in the world, my urgency for lost people, my urgency to see this, king, this kingdom of God break in to my school, to my workplace, to, to my own family's home, 
my, my urgency will almost be non-existent because why? Someone else will do it. Some other church will figure it out. They'll eventually come around or they grew up in it. They'll eventually get back to it. Like we say all of these things, but it's a failure to really understand there are two kingdoms at work in the world. Like I remember maybe like you did moving to Byron Center uh, six or so years ago. I remember the first thing I did was drive around. I was like, Wow, there are a lot of churches. <laughs> I was like, I was moving from Detroit. There were a lot of Catholic churches, but there were not a lot of like evangelical Christian churches in the area that we lived. And I was like, man, there are a lot of churches around here. Like, I picked the wrong industry. I should have picked something else. Like, what? Like, it, it kind of blew my mind. It's just so amazed. And I remember driving around, and slowly over time, I, I began to buy into the fact that you can become a Christian by osmosis. That you can just be around churches enough that, that will lead you into a relationship with Jesus. We know that's not necessarily true. But, but I got swept into believing that. That is a failure to understand. No, there are two kingdoms at work in the world. You're living in one or living in the other. Just to illustrate this, did you know that in Byron Center, in our community, there are 5,460 people who would mark that they have no religious affiliation or preference. That's about a fifth of people that you work next to, go to school with, buy groceries with, get pump your gas next to, a fifth. Like, it, it's probably higher than that, but let's just say that's the real number. Is that not reason enough to believe that there are two kingdoms at work in the world? Like, just because some restaurants have worship services in Byron Center, too, does not mean that everyone is automatically saved. Everyone is automatically living in the kingdom of God. The second perspective-altering takeaway is this, that the fabric of our world has been profoundly scarred by evil and sin. You just need to get that. I need to get that. That, that there is a profound mark on every single relationship, every single system, every single community that that leaves it not the way Jesus desires it to be. It's been scarred by evil and sin. That's what, like I'm sitting there uh, this past Monday. I was in a, a call with our daughter's heart surgeon. So some of you know this, but our daughter's having open heart surgery at the end of August. And I'm sitting there, and he's just kind of saying all these things to me, giving me all these medical facts, all these things. I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Like, this situation's not fair. This situation's not fair. And the only explanation I can get from the Scriptures that makes any sense to me is that our world is just wrecked with sin and evil and brokenness. It's why a three-month-old child ha has to go through something like that. I, I don't typically kind of talk about a bunch of hot-button issues and try to speak to everything in culture, but it really struck me. Just the, I, I don't go to the movies that often. I've probably seen one in like the last two years. Like I'm a very lame person in general. Um, so, so I saw this ad for the Sound of Freedom movie, which is really kind of speaking truth in the culture about human trafficking and the in, awful evil and injustice that, that this is going on in our world behind the scenes in many ways. And in my head, I'm like, man, I don't go see movies, but maybe I'd, I'd go see that. And I was like amazed as soon as I look up reviews, the revolt 
against something that should, to me, be so obvious that we would speak against and work together towards, Christian or not Christian, honestly, towards seeing this injustice eradicated from our, our planet. Like, that to me is an evidence our world, even our minds, have been deceived by sin and been broken by sin. There are patterns of thinking in our world. And Jesus is saying, when you look at this parable, when you look at the wheat against the wheat, and you look at what the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying, imagine a world. Imagine a world in which you speak to injustice and everyone's on board. Imagine a world in which babies can be healed. Imagine a world in which the, the most precious relationships to you can be reconciled, can be made new again, can be made right again. Imagine a world in which greed does not have a grip on our culture, but generosity is the economy that, that we live within. Imagine a world. Imagine a world. That's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven's like. He's saying imagine a world, and that's what my kingdom is like, despite the weeds, that there's still wheat growing. And for whatever mysterious reason, they are coexisting next to each other right now until the end of the age. So those are, are for me, were two perspective-altering takeaways. They have changed my thinking this week. But the better question may be, what do you do with all of this? It's not just enough to sit there and let your mind be changed. How do you actually let your life, your patterns, your behaviors be changed? How do you stay good wheat among weeds? I really think there are two ways, and these are not the only two. But as I prayed into our morning and asked God, give me something for us, here are the two that came to the top. Firstly, Jesus taught that prayer is the antidote to becoming a weed. I don't know why it's that simple and that complex at the same time, but that's what he teaches. He says that prayer is the antidote to becoming a weed. And, and here's how I know that. If you look in the gospel stories, if you look at the disciples, these men who follow Jesus for years and years, look at what they asked Jesus to teach them. You know, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'd be like, hey, You've got thousands coming to hear you preach. Teach me how to preach. Man, I saw you cast a demon out of that little girl, and her family was changed. Her legacy was changed. Her destiny, her, her mind came back. Teach me how to do that. Like, I want to know how to do that. Or maybe Peter's like, hey, can I pull you to the side? Can you show me how to do that water thing one more time? Just one more time. Like, show me how to do that. I want to do the miracles but none of the disciples ask any of those things. What do they ask? They say, Jesus, there's something magnetic about your prayer life. I want that. Jesus, teach us to pray. Please, Lord, Rabbi, teach us to pray. And what Jesus doesn't do is give them a list. What Jesus doesn't do is say, just come on, guys, collect up some of those prayer requests, and we'll kind of pray through them here and there, and maybe we'll forget some days and we'll remember other days. No, Jesus gives them a pattern to build their life on, a pattern of prayer. We call it the, the Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, right? It starts out, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even when there are weeds. Even when there are weeds in the field, even when there is an enemy, even when there is darkness, 
even when there are weeds, I'm going to pull, I'm going to believe and I'm going to pray, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even amongst the weeds. That's how Jesus teaches disciples to pray. And for many of us, prayer over time becomes something like this. Physically speaking, it becomes something that is in the back room of our lives. There are times we need to access it. You've probably got a storage room in your life, you know, storage unit maybe. It's like, man, I need that thing like a couple, maybe once a year, and to go back to get it, and I access it, and I know it's there. I know it's, I know it's ready and available. And I think for many of us, the journey, God wants to slowly move, maybe even this morning wants to move, prayer from being the back room of your life, just being something you access when you need, to becoming the boiler room of your life, in which everything is heated and, and given energy and exists, that your, your house rotates around the fact that you've got heat. You've got fire there. You've got purpose You've got an intimacy that you've cultivated in the secret place that will sustain you in those moments. It's not just something you access in the back room. It's something God wants to move. And this is for us corporately, but it's also for us personally, back to the boiler room of our lives. To say things like, I cannot imagine driving to work without covering that 10 minutes in prayer. I can't imagine making a significant financial investment or a, or a really big parenting decision before praying about it, before bringing it to the feet of Jesus. I can't imagine going to church without prayer. I can't imagine maybe if you a Wednesday night in which I'm in the prayer room for that hour, worshiping, spending time at the feet of Jesus. I can't, I can't picture a week without that. And here's the thing. Jesus never promised prayer to be exciting all the time. He never promised prayer to make you feel something all the time. He never promised that prayer is going to be something that you want to reorganize your whole schedule for. But what he did promise is, is that it's powerful and effective when we do it. So why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I build my life around it? You know, 90% of the time I show up to the prayer room on a Wednesday night, I don't want to be here. I would rather eat dinner with my family, help put the kids to bed, be outside, and then something clicks in me. A part of the way through that night, which I'm like, how did I breathe without this? How did I think I could follow Jesus without this? He's so worthy. He deserves to be ministered to. How, how would I miss these times? But, but when you don't build your life around prayer and it's simply a backroom thing you access, that's really, really easy to forget. So that may be God's challenge to you today. Maybe to to look at this summer, how do I build a rhythm and a life and a habit in my family around, around prayer? But the second may be more kind of tangible for all of us. Now, I wouldn't say as often. Sometimes there are sermons where it's like, hey, there's like five different paths you could take. Here's a couple things maybe you should think about doing this week. I don't feel that way today. I feel like there's a specific response God has for all of us, if not most of us today. And the second way that we stay good weed among weeds is that way. It's by inviting the Holy Spirit to break up the hard ground in our life and create good soil again. There's this uh, agricultural term called fallow ground. And fallow ground is where ground is intentionally left hard. 
It's intentionally left untouched because the microbiome, the nutrients in the soil are actually cultivating good things. And once you break that fallow ground open, the, the harvest, the fruit that can come from that soil is much better than if you tilled it and, and kind of used it every single year. And I think for some of us, God wants to break up the hard ground in our life. He wants to replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. But I also believe there are people in this room, and maybe myself included today, who God wants to break up the fallow ground and say, okay, it's time. I want to do that. I want to set you free from that. I want to I bring a whole new measure of good wheat from your life. I want to create good soil. And Jesus uses that metaphor. He says there are multiple soils. The word goes, and sometimes it falls on thorny. Sometimes it's on rocky. Sometimes it's on hard. But there's other times it hits good soil, and poof, my word grows. My, the harvest becomes plentiful in that person's life. There's good wheat, even though there are weeds in that life. And, and I think that's the invitation for us to take our current season that we could let become hard ground and for God to break it open. For God to pour out fresh wind, fresh rain, fresh encounter, fresh moments with him that will keep us soft, that will keep us good soil, that will allow us in the most trying of circumstances to be good wheat among the weeds. And you know why I believe that? Because I've seen this in our church this summer. I have seen God do that exact thing in people's lives in this church this summer. I have seen wheat spring up right next to the weeds. Now, for example, this past Wednesday was Peter's last Wednesday leading uh, worship in the prayer room. And I knew Monday and Tuesday they had some, like, massive car problems. Like, massive as in the guy calls you and says, hey, it's probably better if you junk this than try to fix it. You ever had those? Maybe not. But I've had those, and it's like, oh, that's the worst phone call ever. So I'm kind of I'm watching him. I'm like, all right, he knows it's his last Wednesday at work. I wonder if he's just going to come in and kind of do it. I, I've seen Peter lead a bunch of times. I would say Peter led as if the only person in the room was Jesus himself. It was like loud in here. It was like full, unfiltered worship coming out of his mouth. And I don't know about you, but car problems are definitely satanic in my life. They never, make, they never draw me closer to Jesus. So I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine. That would just weigh me down. I was so annoyed about that. You would never be able to tell. Friends, that's, that's good wheat. That's good soil amongst the weeds. Think about my friends Mark and Julie. Over this last year, uh, Mark had about a 5% chance to make it out of the ICU. Incredibly toxic infection had filled his body, was slowly taking over. And barring a miracle, Mark was not going to live to see the next Easter. And Mark sat here in first service, serves on our first impressions team. Why? Because Mark and Julie kept praying despite the weeds. And they've had this renewed commitment to prayer and seeking after the Lord because God healed Mark. I think about my friends Caleb and Chanel, who after a disappointing season were able to stand there. I listened last Sunday as Caleb and Chanel both sang out top of the lungs. No knock on you, Caleb, but your voice is not necessarily Peter. You know, so I said that first. I have to say it in second, you know. But it was such a beautiful moment for me. It was a chance to say, man, I know that, that there are people in our church who things are not perfect. 
And worshiping in that almost means more. It, it almost brings out that sacrifice of praise type worship that we all need, <laughs> that we were created for. And now that just there's wheat among the weeds there. I think about Charlie and Lynn, two good friends of mine who have been a part of our church for a long time, who both in the last couple of years moved into a season of retirement. In my head, retirement is perfect time to click it down to cruise control and head on into the sunset, live at the lake as much as possible. You know what they're doing instead of that? Charlie and Lynn, both in their 70s, are now gearing up for, to help us reach another school with hand-to-hand. We, we, we've served 70-something kids at Oriole Park, and that's been amazing. But God has opened the door for us to serve Godwin Heights High School this fall. And another 40 kids are now going to have food because two people said there's weed among the weeds in my life. This is not a time for me to coast. This is not a time for me to look at all the things I've got going on and the hard things and just be like, well, just forget it. Like there's wheat among the weeds. Friends, I've seen this in my own wife. I've seen this in Lindsay. I've seen her with a two-year-old and a three-month-old trust God in a brand new way in light of this open-heart surgery that we have on the calendar. We know it's coming. It's six weeks away. It's right there in front of us. Why is God not miraculously healed Eden yet? I have no idea, but that's not my job to figure out. My job is, am I going to be hard soil? Am I going to be good soil? Am I going to be good wheat among the weeds, or am I just going to complain about the fact there are weeds? And I've just seen her step into into that calling in a, a totally different way. So Jesus' question to all of us, which kingdom will you lean into? Which reality will you lean into? Are you going to focus on the weeds or say, you know what, I know there are weeds. But Jesus, I want to be good wheat. I want to be good soil. I know there's a season, and maybe you have one right now. There's a season in my life that would create in me all the right circumstances and conditions to have a hard heart, and I'm not going there. I'm going to let you break it open. I'm going to let you tear up and till up the fallow ground in my life and bring something beautiful and new. Friends, following Jesus, it's less about skill, and it's more about being open. It is not about mastering religious performance, managing sin so well that you could never tell that you had stuff going on. It's about being open. It's about being surrendered. It's about pursuing true and lasting freedom. It's about letting the Spirit lead your life. And so I think for us, we really have one response, one, one thing to do, one thing to lean into this, this morning. And, and I believe it is just that, to take our current season, take the thing that could be used for evil, Take the thing that could be used to make a hard heart in you over this next year and just say, God, it's yours. Here you go. I want to be good wheat among the weeds. I, I want to give you this. I want you to break up the ground. Listen, I get it. Your season might have some significant weeds in it right now. I get it. I hear you. I, I feel that. But, but Jesus is the one who can create good wheat out of weeds. That's how he ends this this parable. He says, eventually, I'm going to wipe out the weeds. Kingdom of darkness, evil and justice, those who followed in its way, I'm going to judge them. But but for those who have decided to be good wheat, to live in the kingdom, I'm going to actually release them. It says that verse 
43, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he ends, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever desires this, let them really hear it. Let them understand. Let them respond. And so that's what we're going to do. I would love to pray for us uh, before we sing and, and we respond to the Lord together. Jesus, we come before you with humility. We come before you with need. We come before you with some of us a very present circumstance, very real season that was unexpected. For some of us, it's been just way too long. For some of us, it was a diagnosis. For some of us, it's another failed pregnancy. For some of us, it is a financial burden we did not expect a year ago. For some of us, it is a moment and a situation with our kid that we just cannot figure out. We don't know why it happened, how to get around it, how to move on. For some of us, it's a big looming question about our future. Where am I going to be? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be used ever again? And Lord, it's in that place that we just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You you get to lead. You get to decide. You get to help us. And you promise to be the helper. When we come to you with need, you promise to help. And so, Lord, we just bring you that. We want to be good weed among the weeds. We want fresh wind. We want fresh encounter. We want to know your presence for real, tangibly, leading us into the future. And so, God, we ask you to do that good work in us today. We ask you to give us the courage and boldness to respond. We pray in Jesus' name.